good evening, everybody. It is so good to see all of you here on campus tonight. Welcome. Glad you're here. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, so glad you've chosen to make this evening, this service, a part of your evening, and we know you'll be blessed. Why don't we stand together tonight, and um, as we like to do on Wednesday night, we just want to take a moment and and uh, just invite God's presence in and worship a little bit and uh, just talk to the Lord a moment. And while we are, while we are doing that tonight, uh, we do have one very special prayer request that I'm going to ask the whole church to help me pray. Uh, Brother James Tomlinson is in need of our prayers tonight. Uh, he uh, had a, a little heart condition and they were thinking they may do surgery a little later on and um, had wound up having to have emergency surgery today. Uh, he, he is in recovery and has a good report, but certainly we want to pray for him and lift him up and uh, ask God to touch him and be with him in the hospital today and be with Sister Sarah as well. So let's remember that need. Uh, if you have a need tonight, just by the uplifting of a hand, uh, unspoken need, just make that known to the Lord, and I believe God will move on our behalf tonight. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise. God, you are good, and we're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your house, to be in your presence, Lord, to spend time in your word. We invite you in this place, Jesus. You are welcome here. You inhabit the praises of your people, Lord, and we praise you tonight. We thank you for your goodness and your sovereignty and your mercy. I pray tonight for every need that was represented by the uplifting of a hand. God, you know, you see, and you work, and I pray you would do that tonight in the name of Jesus. I pray for Brother James Tomlinson, God, that you would heal his body to the uttermost. God, give him a complete and miraculous recovery, a speedy recovery. Lord, be with him tonight. Let angels be in that hospital room. Be with Sister Sarah, we pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you believe it tonight, clap your hands to Jesus. Rejoice. Thank you, Lord. You're good, Jesus. You hear and answer prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Before you're seated, look at somebody, give them a big smile, and tell them you're glad they're here tonight. And you may be seated as you so do. <laughs> Amen. Didn't you enjoy Pastor's Bible study last Wednesday night? Wasn't that amazing? I have feasted on that all through the last week, the beginning of this week. Looking forward to Bible study tonight and see what God has for us. But before brother, before Pastor comes, uh, just want to remind you of a couple very important things. I want you to mark your calendar. So uh, listen carefully. We're in, I guess not really the middle, but we're still in the holiday season. Still got a few days to go. And I know that the schedules get tricky, so uh, maybe make a note of this and, and you'll be on board with kind of what our church schedule is going to look like this coming weekend with the, with the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day holidays. We will have uh, 10 o'clock Sunday school and 11 o'clock service here Sunday as normal schedule, but we'll be having communion in the 11 o'clock service. So come prepared for that, come with that on your mind and on your heart. It's going to be a beautiful service, and frankly, I think it's a wonderful way to begin a new year in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, and celebrating that communion service together. So come prepared for that this Sunday, January 1st, New Year's Day. And then on Monday, uh, January 2nd, we'll begin our 21 days of sacrifice, and that, of course, will continue all the way to January 22nd. So we want you to be a part of that, participate in that, and uh, let's consecrate those days to God through prayer and fasting 
and just believe for some great things in the coming year. And then final announcement, final thing, ladies, mark your calendar for February 11th. All the ladies say February 11th. That is our annual ladies tea. And if you would like to host a table, please see Sister Sheila Landry. She can give you all the details. But for now, mark your calendar and uh, just get ready for a good time at the annual ladies tea on February 11th. God bless you tonight. Pastor's coming with Bible study. I'm going to ask you to clap your hands one more time to Jesus as Pastor comes to the pulpit. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, glad you're here. Glad to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. And um, hope all of you had a, a good Christmas holiday. And um, I would like to say thank you that um, I met one very disappointed person as a result of uh, Christmas Sunday. It was uh, Tucker Coley. Uh, saw him at prayer yesterday. How old is Tucker? Anybody know off the top of your head? About five. And I said, how was Christmas? How old is he? Six. I said, well, how was Christmas, Tucker? He said it was smile just real big like that, all teeth. It was awesome. I got a new switch. And just like that, just like that, his bottom lip came up. And he said, but I didn't get a game to play on it. I guess you call that half happy, half good Christmas. So maybe we can help Tucker. I don't know what to do, but we'll have to help him out so he won't be so discouraged over Christmas. Glad to see everybody here tonight. And uh, along with Brother Dave, I'm hoping that your holiday season so far is going well. And uh, I'm looking forward to the new year coming. And uh, I believe that God has some great things in store. I do. I believe that with, with all of my heart. And thank you, Brother Dave, for your accolades with Bible study last Wednesday night. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, heard actually several comments from our young people that they were looking forward to tonight uh, to get part two of that Bible study. But it's not just for the young people. If you weren't able to be here last Wednesday night, uh, I'm sure you can go to our website and pull up the Bible study. If you ever run into somebody that wants to know what it takes to go to heaven, uh, I, via Acts 2.38, uh, I taught the first part of the Bible study last Wednesday night to show them in the Bible where Simon Peter got Acts 2.38 from. And... Uh, People have said in times past, well, I'm not going to believe Peter. I'd rather believe the words of Jesus. Well, you get to believe the words of Jesus when you hear where Peter got his Acts 2.38 message from. So tonight I'll continue that. And uh, uh, again, want to equip uh, all of us here tonight with this, but uh, especially our young people. Last Wednesday night, I took time to show you in Acts chapter 1, and we'll reread a little bit of that tonight, but just for the sake of review, uh, Luke was a writer of the book of Acts, of course, he also wrote the book of Luke, and so he refers to, in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he refers to what we now know as the book of Luke, he refers to that, and uh, talks to a man named Theophilus, nobody really knows who that is, 
but he said that he had he followed Jesus uh, and recorded in the book of Luke everything that Jesus did and taught until he was uh, ascended back into heaven. Um, but he gave his apostles or disciples whom he had chosen commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I gave you a verse in Romans 14, 17 last Wednesday night that tells us that in this Bible reference, the kingdom of God is not talking about heaven, but it's talking about joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It's talking about the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus, after he died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, was seen many times after his resurrection by many people, and he spent 40 days uh, with his disciples, on occasions 40 days with his disciples, appearing to them and giving them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. And last Wednesday night, I went through three of those times where Jesus either appeared or was with his disciples and he gave them commandments to the kingdom of God or about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So when Peter got up to preach his Acts 2 sermon, uh, he just didn't pull that out of the air. Um, he got that message, he got that sermon and those commandments from Jesus himself. And I refer to Luke 24, Mark 16, and Matthew chapter 28. I also mention that I appreciate the fact that there's at least three of these occasions. There's actually more. But there's at least three of them that is so recorded in detail where Jesus appeared to his disciples. Uh, because in the law of Moses, the Bible said, it's with the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So you have three occasions here where people witnessed Jesus appearing and teaching them and telling them, when you start preaching the gospel, this is what I want you to say. And that's what Peter did. I also referred to uh, the scripture instance in Matthew chapter 1 that said when they left the Mount of Olives and was going back to Jerusalem to the upper room, they obeyed what Jesus told them to do. So they're... Uh, assembling in the upper room in Jerusalem. And the Bible pointed out some of the people that were there, including Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, and the mother of Jesus. The Bible says that plainly, that the mother of Jesus was there. So Matthew was there in Matthew 28, where Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Peter said to baptize in the name of Jesus. Matthew was there, so Matthew should have got up and corrected Peter and said no that's not what he said but they understood what he said that if you're going to baptize somebody in the name of the father you need to find out what the name of the father is and the son and the holy ghost etc and then the fact that Mary the mother of Jesus was in the upper room and she was filled with the baptism of the holy ghost and we know that she was baptized the bible said they were all baptized in Jesus name then if Mary needs that then I think all of us Need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So to begin tonight, uh, I would like to follow a similar pattern. I want to take you to three instances in the book of Acts where the Holy Ghost fell, where they repented, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Holy Ghost fell, once again establishing 
that by the mouth of three witnesses shall every word be established. In this case, it's going to be three different, if I can use the word race, races of people. It's going to be Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. But then I'm going to add a fourth at the end of my study tonight to show you that even religious people who have been baptized one way needs to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus. And the Bible gives us very strong commandment to do that. So let's begin tonight. I'd like to go again to Acts chapter 1 uh, and read again where Luke said in verse 1, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many, many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Um, this is where we began last Wednesday night. But those of you that are taking notes and would like to actually teach this Bible study, if you teach what I taught last Wednesday night in one setting, do the review that I just did. Repeat that again. Take some notes. Repeat the review that I just did. But you will want to start your Bible study in Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Um, so to begin tonight, to officially begin the Bible study tonight, and I believe there's going to be some people here that's going to use this material. I believe God's going to put somebody in your path and uh, you can use this material to show them through the Word of God what they need to do. We're all familiar with the verse, the, the, the chapter, but I, I want to read a good portion of it to establish the foundation here tonight for this particular um, experience that the people had in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is the what ended up being 120. Most commentators believe it was a whole lot more than that, but some of them left as the time went on and nothing seemingly happened or was going to happen. So we know there was 120 there in the upper room uh, obeying what Jesus said for them to do. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This next part is what I want to accentuate. We're all familiar with Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's 5 through 14, uh, four, excuse me, 5 through 13 that I want to accentuate tonight. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. I want to explain what happened here before I continue reading. These Jewish people who were in the upper room were still speaking in tongues. I don't know how long they spoke in tongues, but apparently it was for a while. They spoke in tongues, and as it noised around Jerusalem that they had this commotion going on in the upper room, and it was real strange, the multitude that was there feasting for the Feast of Pentecost gathered around the upper room, and they heard the Jewish people upstairs, the 120, speaking in tongues. They heard that. 
So the people that were outside, the Bible said they were devout men. They came from all other nations uh, or outside of Israel. They were from Gentile nations, actually. And they knew the people in the upper room were Jewish people that spoke Hebrew and Greek. But they were also speaking, they were speaking a heavenly language that was actually in the same tongue, the same language that was spoken in the nations where these people were from. So it's, I don't know how to speak any foreign language. It's, it, it would be this case, you all are from, let's say, Mexico, a Spanish-speaking country. I've seen this happen twice, by the way. Uh, I've heard it happen with my own ears twice. Where God would move on me, and I start speaking perfect Spanish, and you know that I can't do that. That's, that's what's happening here. Does everybody understand that? That's what they're doing. They are speaking perfect a perfect foreign language, and they have no clue what they're saying. They don't know that language. And again, I've been a witness to this twice in my lifetime of this happening, where somebody was speaking a language, they had no clue what they were speaking, but someone else in the building heard it. The one that is the most prolific to me is when we were, in our youth choir years ago, was in Mexico. We saw about a 12, 13-year-old a little Mexican girl received the Holy Ghost for the first time, had never been out of the country of Mexico, had never heard English. And she was saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And she had no clue what she was saying. But we understood it perfectly. That's what happened in the upper room. The Bible goes on to say they were all amazed. And how can these people do this? They're, they're Galileans. They, they only speak the hometown language, etc. Verse 8 says, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then the, the Bible list in verses 9, 10, and 11, there's about 14 to 15 countries that are mentioned here who speak a different language from the Jewish people. But these Jewish people are up in the, the upper room, and these people from these 14, 15 different countries are hearing their native tongue being spoken clearly. Now, how is that happening? They were all amazed in verse 12. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? And then verse 13, the verse we've heard so many times, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. <clears throat> I have never, ever in my life or have read any, I've never witnessed it, I've never read any research, nothing where people are intoxicated, and because they're intoxicated, they can speak a fluent foreign language. So I thought they were really grasping at straws here with that excuse. That person up there is speaking perfect Arabian or whatever. They're speaking the language of Phrygia. They're drunk. They got to be drunk to do that. That makes a lot of sense. But they didn't know what to say. So beginning with verse 14, all the way through verse 36. I'm teaching this to you tonight as though I were teaching somebody for the very first time. So Peter began to preach to them, beginning at verse 14, all the way through verse 36. He preaches to them the first apostolic message, the first Pentecostal message. 
and he preaches to them so hard and with such anointing. He quotes Joel chapter 2 as his text about God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then he begins to preach. The Bible said in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They want to receive from Peter a commandment, not an option. They didn't say, men and brethren, we feel real convicted here. We crucified Christ and thank God he rose from the dead on the third day. And uh, we just need some options. We're considering buying into this Holy Ghost outpouring and this apostolic stuff. So could you give us some options on perhaps something that would get us similar to, close to what's going on in that upper room right there? They didn't ask that. They said, what shall we do? They didn't ask, what shall we repeat? They said, what shall we do? It's interesting to me because Luke was so adamant in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus gave them commandments. And here are people, Jews and Gentiles, if you will, that we want to know what do we need to do to get rid of this conviction, to get rid of this guilt, to change our lives. Whatever's going on up there, I want it. So Peter said, without any hesitation, he said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said to repent. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, he told his disciples, When you preach, preach repentance. So Peter got that right. That's quoting Jesus. He's obeying what Jesus said. And then Jesus said in Luke 24, When you preach remission of sin, preach it in my name. So he got, Peter got that right. You're baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. And then we find throughout the other scripture instances I gave you and other places in the New Testament and the Gospels where Jesus told them to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's interesting to me in verse 39 that Peter went on to say, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So for the people who say that the Holy Ghost was only for those who lived in the book of Acts, that's not true. The promise is to everybody. You don't ever see in the Bible where God terminates giving people the Holy Ghost. You don't read that. You don't read where it's prophesied that he will terminate that. So in Acts chapter 2, there were hundreds and thousands of people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name as a result of this. And large in part, they were Jewish people. God gave the Holy Ghost first to his natural bride of people, to the nation of Israel. He gave, it, he gave them the Holy Ghost first. He did. Those in the upper room, we know that at least the 12 apostles were there. Uh, Judas wasn't. They uh, had voted and elected Matthias. Uh, but there were 12 of them there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. These were Jewish people. They were the first to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. To repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. Is everybody on board? Does it make sense? 
All right, now let's go to Acts chapter 8. This story begins with Philip. Philip Philip was a deacon in the uh, book of Acts church, the, the church at Jerusalem. He was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a deacon that was chosen. Um, and he went to Samaria to start preaching Christ to them, the Bible said. And uh, the Bible said in, in verse 6, and the people with one accord, everybody, everybody in Samaria flocked out to Philip to hear what he had to say. And if you heard what their option was, there was a man there that was a, a wizard a witch, a wizard, uh, by the name of Simon, and they thought that he had great power with God, but actually it was great power with the devil. So when they heard a true God loving them and so on, they flocked out to Philip, and he began to preach to them, and as he spake, the Bible said that there was lots of miracles. Unclean spirits came out of people. There's a lot of miracles that happened there in Acts chapter 8, uh, verses five, six, seven, and eight. And just because of the miracles that was performed through Philip, the unclean spirits came out of people. The Bible said there was great joy in the city. Well, in verse nine of Acts chapter eight, we meet this Simon. Uh, he was a man uh, used in, in sorcery and so on. And he, he bewitched the people, the Bible said. Uh, he was a great man. He had great power of God, they thought, and so on. And so as Philip kept preaching, and the Bible said in verse 12, Acts chapter 8, verse 12, that he preached things concerning the kingdom of God. You remember that? Uh, where uh, the Holy Ghost is not meat and drink, but joy, peace, and righteousness in the, in the, in the, uh, the kingdom of God is, is, is not meat and drink. It's joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Here's the Bible using that same terminology again. He's preaching to them about the Holy Ghost and they believed him. They believed the message of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said, then Philip baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ in verse 12. So now you had Jewish people that have received the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name. And now you have Samaritan people that have, that have been baptized. They repented and they've been baptized in Jesus' name. But there were so many people there. Uh, Philip got a little nervous about the whole thing. So he sent word back to Jerusalem and had Peter and asked Peter and John to come. And Peter and John came. And when they arrived in Samaria, beginning with verse, uh, let's say verse 16. For as, he yet, uh, for as yet the Holy Ghost was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Peter and John laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Watch this. The Bible does not say they spoke in tongues. But Simon, the wizard, offered Peter and John money. I'll pay you whatever money I have to pay you if you will give me the gift that you have so I can lay hands on people. And something happened. He wanted to be able to duplicate what Peter and John duplicated. So if these people received the Holy Ghost, they had to do something different, powerful, and special for Simon to want that power from the apostles. So it is believed, I would have no argument with this, obviously, that when Peter and John laid his hands on the Samaritan people, they received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, and Simon wanted to buy 
that gift. And of course, they did not do that, and that doesn't happen. But we do know that he was later on converted, baptized in Jesus' name, etc. So you have the Holy Ghost fallen on Jewish people in Acts chapter 2, and now you have the Holy Ghost fallen on Samaritan people, half Jews, half Gentiles, if you will, in Acts chapter 8. Now let's go to Acts chapter 10. This is Peter now. Peter is a devout Jew. He loves God with all of his heart. He was a wonderful disciple of Jesus. He preached the Acts 2 sermon, etc. And God is fixing to wake him up to a reality that he's not quite prepared for. It's interesting to me when you read the story of what 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 transpired with Cornelius and Simon Peter that that did not happen with the Samaritan people. Peter readily prayed for the Samaritan people. And that's interesting to me. And you'll understand why when we go through this little bit of dialogue in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Acts chapter 10 verse 1 in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a military leader over 100 people. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked up on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what you ought to do. Again, he's not going to give you options and choices. He's going to tell you what you need to do. I think this is a wonderful scripture setting. So Cornelius loads up some people, Gentile people. Gentile people were not accepted by Jewish people. We know that from the New Testament and the Old Testament. They go to this place called Joppa. Joppa, it's Hoppa now, but Joppa, to inquire about Peter. Meanwhile, Peter shows up at this house of Simon the Tanner, and they're fixing lunch, and he was very hungry, and they were preparing food or whatever, so he decided to go, go up on the the roof of the house and take a nap which was common for that time frame he went to sleep and he had a vision vision was a sheet a large piece of cloth full of unclean animals being let down out of heaven in front of Peter God took advantage of the fact that he was hungry so in his sleep God told Peter to get up and eat and Peter <laughs> argues with God and says, no, thank you. I am a devout child of God. I am an anointed man of God. And no unclean thing. I've never eaten catfish, crawfish, nothing. No unclean thing has ever come into my mouth. The implication behind this story was Peter believed that Jewish people were unclean people. And they had no... They had no market on God whatsoever. He summarily missed Jesus telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter missed that discourse somehow or another. And so this dialogue starts between God and Peter in his dream, in Peter's dream. And he said, I'm not going to eat that stuff, even though it's from heaven. This is interesting to me. He just bowed up on God. I know this is God, and I know this food is from heaven, but it's still unclean, and I'm not going to eat it. So they went back and forth, and finally God got through to him. Meanwhile... Someone is at the gate downstairs rattling the gate and somebody got Peter and said, there's somebody outside, he's a Roman soldier, and he wants to see you. So Peter goes down and he, Cornelius tells him his story and says, God told me to look for you if you're Peter. God gave me your name and everything. And I'm a devout man, but God essentially is telling Cornelius there's more for you. You're a good religious guy, you're devout, you've given a lot in the offering. But God has more for you. And he told me to come to talk to you and you would tell me what I need to do. And thankfully, Peter puts two and two together and said, well, I now I know what that sheet and the unclean animals and all that's about. It's about this guy standing at my gate. He's a Gentile through and through. He's an Italian. And he wants to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And how can I hold that back from him? We don't understand the gravity of this situation. The Jews had very strong ideas and opinions about Gentile people. You had to be very careful about fooling with Gentile people and doing business with Gentile people, etc. So in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter begins preaching to Cornelius and the people that are with him. And the Bible said, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive, I understand. There's something that opened up in my head just now, that God is no respecter of person. The gospel going global hit Simon Peter that day. It's for everybody. It's interesting to me that the Samaritan thing didn't do that to him. But the Gentile thing did. And he begins preaching to Cornelius. When you get towards the end of Acts chapter 10, in verse 43, Peter wraps up his sermon by saying, To give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, these Gentile people which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, these were Jewish people because they were circumcised, they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? This is interesting to me and we've, we follow this pattern all of my life, all of your life, everybody here tonight, that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost before you're baptized. I heard a preacher say one time, and I've never forgotten it, that God will, re will let you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost on credit. I've never seen anybody receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and turn around and say, I don't want to be baptized. I've never seen that happen. In all of my life, I've never seen that happen. So I believe God knows when you're genuinely filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you want to do whatever it takes to please God. And if that means take me to the water, and most people don't want to wait 
to the next service. They want to do it now. Baptize me now. And we've seen that happen many, many times. But I believe in this case, God had to fill the Gentiles with the Holy Ghost first as a witness to the Jewish people that were there so they could be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm not sure the Jewish people would have baptized Cornelius and the people that was with him in Jesus' name first and then say, let's pray that they receive the Holy Ghost. I don't believe that would happen. So I believe God allowed them to fill the, with, be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's interesting to me that that obviously happened with the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2. They weren't baptized. I've not found it in any scripture that they didn't get baptized before they received the Holy Ghost either. So it's like God is treating the Jews and the Gentiles the same here because both of them are hard-headed. So let me give you the Holy Ghost first and then you get baptized. I would teach like this if I were teaching somebody. So Peter said in uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Can any man forbid water? Can any man argue with the fact that these people should not be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost? The same as we. And in verse 48, he commanded them. Again, he commanded. He commanded. Baptize them in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. He commanded them. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord. So Jews have received, have repented, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Samaritans have been repented, baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost, and now Gentiles have been baptized, repented, baptized, and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want everybody to understand there's, there's lots of things that happen in the book of Acts that prove this, but this is just three nationalities of people that God is no respecter of person. It doesn't matter who you are. But I say to me, especially for America, um, the United States, most people, even though they don't go to church, they still profess to be some kind of a religion, especially when they're going into the hospital for surgery or they're being booked into jail. They're going to put a religion. I need all of God I can get right now. If I just think of one my mama talked about when I was three around the kitchen table, I'll just put that one down. Hadn't been to church in years. People get religious all of a sudden when, when it's something important in their life. So I love this this instance in the Bible that's been recorded and I'm thankful it was but this time it was Paul and not Peter and that's interesting to me because Paul has a very clear clear understanding of who John the Baptist was rightfully so but I don't always connect Paul he's not mentioned in the gospels you don't meet Paul until you get to Acts chapter 7 um, and then we know him as Saul and his, his name is changed um, People debate back and forth whether he met Jesus or not. Uh, but he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He's had revelation and understanding, etc. So in Acts chapter 19, with verse, beginning with verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, which is another Gentile town. It's in the country of Turkey now. And finding certain disciples, disciples, religious people, committed people that love God based on what their religion has taught them, that love the founder of their religion, that love the founder of their religion, a man who did the will and purpose of God. He did. 
John the Baptist did exactly what God asked him to do. Actually, he did a little bit more than what God asked him to do. Another Bible study for another time. So he finds these disciples, and in verse 2, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Their answer is really interesting to me. They said, they've not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost or not. And I would like to ask, what hole have you had your head buried in for the past how many years? I mean, the Holy Ghost spread through Israel like the flu. And all through Europe, all through Asia, it was going everywhere. And how is it that these disciples of John the Baptist had never heard anything about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost from anybody? That's interesting to me, and I've never been able to find the answer. They said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. It was John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So Paul understood that. He understood what Paul preached, or, or John preached. He understood what his message was about, etc. He understood all of that. And he explained that to them. And when they heard that, it resonated with them. And the Bible said in Acts 19, verse 5, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So these people, God didn't have to give them the Holy Ghost first, even though they had already been baptized once before in water. But they were still baptized the wrong way. Let me rephrase that. They were not baptized the right way. Their, John's water baptism was unto repentance to get the nation of Israel to start changing their view and preparing them for the Messiah, who was Jesus. His baptism was not for the remission of sin. I believe he just got them in the water. They said, we believe we want to change. We want to change. Okay, hold your breath. Choo-choo. He didn't say nothing. All of that changed, of course, in Acts chapter 2, obeying the commandments of Christ. So they were baptized first, then Paul laid his hands on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. What I want everybody to hear tonight is, I'm going to go ahead and read the verse. I wasn't going to, but I will. Most of the denominational world more and more are coming around to the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and all that, but there's still a breach with Jesus' name baptism in most places. But in Romans chapter 10, most denominations use Romans chapter 10 verse 9 like we use Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And for most denominations, that's where they start and stop. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of water baptism. Jesus commanded people to be baptized. In his name, he commanded that to happen. 
and there's a serious problem I have with people who teach the Word of God to people who are wanting to have their heart right with God, but they are not exposed to water baptism. The other tragedy to this is when they are exposed to water baptism, they, can, they jump back over the book of Acts, all the way back to Matthew 28, 19, and they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost because they want to baptize according to the way Jesus said to do it and not the way Peter said to do it. Again, as I pointed out last Wednesday night, people are not obeying the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. They're repeating the word of Jesus, and there's a big difference between the two. But in Romans 10, 9, if you read this, this book is written to a Gentile church, and Paul is writing to them and said, if the Jewish people want to be saved, the first thing they're going to have to do is admit and confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're going to do that one of these days, according to the book of Revelation. They're going to do that. But this was not designed to be a plan of salvation for people to go from here to heaven. This is just a little step for the Jewish people to have to take in their relationship with Christ. It's what Romans 10, 9 is talking about. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And in verse 9, he tells them what they're going to have to do to restore their relationship with the Messiah so they can be saved. So you will encounter that when you want to witness to people, when you want to talk to people. You can share with them your testimony about when you received the Holy Ghost and so on, when you were baptized and so on. But you can now also give them Bible. I opened my study uh, last Wednesday night telling you about a preacher that went to one of our UPC preachers that went to a little town and put up a big billboard that said, I'll pay anybody a million dollars if you can show me where anybody in the Bible was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Phone rang off the hook, he said. But nobody could do it. He never had to make that payout because nobody in the Bible was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I believe they had an understanding. And if you open your heart and mind to it, you'll see it as well. So take this. It's going to be loaded up on our website eventually. And uh, you can go back and listen to this again. You can take more notes. You can listen to it over and over and memorize parts of it if you need to. But use it as a tool. Don't be caught by somebody on your job or your neighbor. And they say, well, what do y'all believe? What, what does your church believe that somebody has to do to go to heaven then? Don't just stand there and say, blah, 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 and then let me call my pastor and ask him. Don't do that. Say, I'll be right back. Let me go get my Bible. I mentioned to you last Wednesday night how to mark your Bible. The one that I did last Wednesday night, just put in the back of your Bible on one of these little blank white pages. Just write whatever you want to call this Bible study. Just write on it. Start Bible study in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And then when you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, then write down the next verse, chapter and verse, book, chapter and verse. And when you get to that verse, write down the next one, and you can just go... And that person's going to look at you like, man, that person is brilliant. But it's okay. It's okay. So you don't really have to memorize it. Just get familiar with it and then teach it. Teach it, folks. When you have opportunities, don't shy away from it. Teach it. Ask somebody if you can come to their house and sit down in their living room, invite them to yours, go to a restaurant, whatever it takes. Teach it. Teach it. Teach it. Let's win some people to Jesus for you saved.
Amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, you all have a very happy new year, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday for communion. And uh, come out Sunday morning expecting a great time in the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.